For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality, as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did, and were destroyed by serpents nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction, on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Let's bow together in prayer. Father, your word is true, and your word will have its way. And I pray, God, that you would be honored. Help us to heed your word. I pray that you would guard my heart and my mind and my tongue as I preach here this morning and be glorified in your body. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this was Paul writing. James writes in the first chapter of his epistle, sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Is it really that bad? Last summer, I had a former coworker have abdominal pains, so he went into the hospital, went to the doctor to see what was happening, and the next day, he was having a portion of his colon removed. And the doctor told him, if you had waited one more day, you wouldn't have needed surgery because you would be dead. After a four-month stint in the hospital, recovering from that, and after five months of recovery, he finally had his plumbing rerouted again, and he is back to normal, praise God. When the reports of ICE came to the radio room of the HMS Titanic, her captain ignored the warnings. The day had been mild, after all, and we're kind of leaning south there, so how bad could it be? We have lookouts. 1,517 dead would argue that it was pretty bad. The 711 who survived after being plucked from a freezing sea would also argue that it was pretty bad. When it comes to our sin, God's word is filled with warnings, starting from the second chapter of Genesis, the very first book in the Bible, working all the way through to the last chapter of Revelation. Warning upon warning upon warning. In this chapter here in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, a few verses later from where I read, Paul cries out to the people, I speak to you as sensible people. Saints, 
As Paul writes, these things were written down for our instruction. How bad is it really? Well, it's worse than ice to a ship and it's worse than necrosis to living tissue. David's dance with Bathsheba began with a glance from a housetop and cascaded into murdering one of his chief lieutenants and to the death of his infant son and to treason within his family and to countless other deaths in Israel and one would argue leading ultimately to the split in Israel. Now, God's word is filled with what I call anchor points for us, things that we can cling to, hang on to, to sustain us in seasons both bright and dark. And today we're going to look at a firm place for us to stand in our battle against sin. But before we, before we go there, before ultimately the hope, we have to really look at how bad is sin? If I need to escape sin, how bad is it really? After that, we will consider God's breathtaking escape plan for us in our fight against sin and how to apply it in our lives. So before we can rejoice in the cure, let's take a look at the disease, the darkness of sin for us. So what is sin? Sin is basically treason against a holy God. It is rebellion. Peter writes in 1 Peter 1.16, quoting all the way back to Leviticus, so it stems from New Testament to Old, be holy because I, the Lord, am holy. We miss the mark. We are not holy. We pervert and we twist that which is good. James, in James chapter 1, verse 21, describes our actions as filthiness and rampant wickedness. We are soiling and staining that which is good and beautiful. And once again, we go, how bad is it really? Aren't there some sins that are like, okay? In our culture today, sin is like not a thing. It's, a, it's like a toxic word within our culture. Now we look at some people and go, well, that guy, that guy, is, he sins, but not me, not really. Four aspects, four things to look at with regard to sin. And the first thing to note is that the magnitude of our offense depends on the majesty of what we have offended. The magnitude of our offense depends on the majesty of what we have offended. Now, consider if I were to find a barn out in the woods, deserted, dilapidated, run down, and I take a can of Krylon and write, Keith loves Tracy on that, who's going to care? But if I do that on the stop sign out here, is that a bigger deal? Yeah, especially if the cops see me do it. What if I were to go to the Kemp Center for the Arts and start putting Keith Loves Tracy on their paintings? Is that going to be a bigger deal? Absolutely. And if Greg Abbott comes to town and he's having a town hall meeting and I go up to shake his hand, but instead of shaking it, I put K plus T on his chest. Is that going to be a big deal? Absolutely. See, I don't think my little sins would warrant eternal torment in hell because I'm comparing my sins to Adolf Hitler, 
to uh, serial killers, to abusers. I'm not like that. And so I compare my sin. My sin's like Mount Scott at 2,400 feet. And their sin is like Mount Everest at 29,000 feet. I go, look at the difference there. We go, that's significant. But if you're comparing the altitudes of those little bumps compared to the distance between here and Jupiter, you go, they're nothing. They're the same. When I'm just looking under the sun here, I go, well, my sin's worse than yours or yours is worse than mine. But before a holy God who's as far away as Jupiter, man, they're both sins. They both separate us from the living God. My sin is against God alone. The darkness of your smallest bitterness or jealousy or lust puts you on an equal footing with serial killers and those who extort money from widows. They separate us from God. Isaiah notes by God's good and right inspiration that even our righteous deeds are tainted with sin. They're like filthy garments before the holiness of God. David recognizes in Psalm 51, 4, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your arguments. Now, this does not discount what scripture teaches that there will be greater punishments in hell. But you're still in hell. Okay? It's like in heaven, there will be greater rewards, but we're going to rejoice in heaven. I don't, you know, somebody gets more rewards than me. I don't care. I'm still in heaven. But in hell, it's eternal torment. I have to fathom the magnitude of my sin as it compares to a holy God. The second thing to note in this dark realm of sin is that sin has infected every one of us from the beginning. It's not like at some point in your life you became a sinner. No, you're, you're born that way. That's what David says in Psalm 51.5. Behold, I was brought forth in, iniqu in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Isaiah says a similar thing in Isaiah 48, verse 8. From birth, you were called a rebel. I mean, it starts out that way. We know this. We see kids. We see little kids. So it should not surprise us then that this sin, this rebellion, this treason against God separates us from God. It separates us from God. Isaiah continuing in 59, verse 2, says, Your iniquities have made a separation between you and God. The fourth thing to note with regard to our sin is that the consequences of our sin are crushing. Yes, the separation from God. Here in this, as we walk under the sun and I don't see God walking around, a lot of us don't consider that separation. That relationship between God and man starts out ruined. 
But it's not just our relationship with God that is ruined. Our relationship between one another is ruined. We see that right away as Adam starts blaming his wife. This woman you gave me gave me the fruit to eat. We see that in the very next chapter in Genesis chapter 4 when brother raises up rock to kill brother. Ruined relationships between God and man and man and man. A ruined understanding of who I am. We spoke in the teen Sunday school class briefly this morning about my, my desires are broken. My desires are broken. I desire what I want and not what God has created me to be. I mean, that's why in this world today, the tragedy of what we see is that men are desiring other men and not women. And I don't know what I am anymore. What am I? And it's because that we are broken. We are broken from the fall. Even our desires, who I am, is broken. The earth is cursed. Romans chapter 8 says it, that it, it too groans. I mean, how many of us have stepped on sand burrs in our yard? Like, we know it. The earth bites back now. And it was not intended to be so. Death has come to all men because all sinned. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Death. Not only a physical death, but a spiritual death also. Eternal torment in the lake of fire. Revelation 2.11 and Revelation 20, verse 6. And really, only sin, only sin can provide an answer to us for what is broken and wrong with this world. What's wrong? What's wrong is me. What's wrong is my sin. But we're not left there. Scripture, but God. God doesn't leave us in our sin. This is the cross of Christ. The consequences of the cross of Christ, the debt is paid. John 19, verse 30, Jesus on the cross said, it is finished. Our relationship through Christ between God and man is restored. God showed his love, Romans chapter 5, verses 8 through 10. God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. And the hope of eternal life for us is secured through Christ. The promise of our death in this world is certain, but the promise of the future in Jesus Christ is all the more certain. So as a believer, okay, so I'm saved, but then I go, I look in the mirror and I go, still I sin. But I'm a believer now, so how bad is it really? And still it's titanic bad. Satan desires our destruction. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Peter writes that to believers. He was a murderer from the beginning. And God will allow Satan on his leash to come and test you. As we saw with Peter 
as we saw with Job. While God intends these things for good and for your strengthening, Satan wants to ruin everything. He wants to ruin you. He wants to ruin your marriage. He wants to ruin your kids. He wants to ruin your job. He wants to ruin your friendships. He wants to ruin the church and the unity in the church. And he wants to ruin your name. If I sin now as a believer, I'm not doing it in my nature. I am now doing it willfully in contrast to what God has done in my life. To do this, Instead of making myself a slave to righteousness, Paul writes in Romans 6, 16, I make myself a slave to death. Like a dog, I return to my vomit. Shall we sin that grace abounds? Paul asks in Romans chapter 6, verse 1. He says, God forbid. May it not be so. There's a warning for us in Hebrews chapter 10. Verses 26 to 27, the writer of Hebrews says, If we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. How can I continue in sin? So I can't, I can't look to others. I have to look to a righteous God. So me, if I hate and curse, do I not commit murder? If I lust, does my soul not whore after things that God says are an abomination? Do I not commit adultery? If I dishonor my parents here on Mother's Day, if I dishonor my parents, do I not dishonor God? And praise God, Saint, we're not left there. We're left with the hope today. God provides for us. We, we have the provision of God in our battle against sin. God did not merely provide us the cross of Christ just to redeem us, but to give us power now to live this life in a manner pleasing to him. He has stated that he will make a way that we might bear up against sin. And so this is an anchor point for us. I go, I need to cling to this because I don't know about you, but I battle sin. God does not leave us alone to fight sin. I mean, from the very beginning, when John the Baptist came, his first call to the people was to repent he was the voice of God saying, turn from your sin and come back to God. So God's going to send people. Jesus Christ, his very first sermon was repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. God warns us like a parent with childs, don't go into the busy road. Don't touch the hot stove. Don't drink the poison. Don't do those things. God doesn't smite us in our sin, but calls us back. You have sinned, my child, and I know this. Repent and come away and come to me. God desires to purify a people for himself, 
that his glory might shine forth in them. He knows fully what I only learn. And that is I am unable in my own skin to defeat sin. I can't by myself do this thing. It's the stuff of Romans 7. Why do I do the things that I do? Why don't I, don't, why don't I do the things I should be doing? Jesus tells us in John chapter 15, verse 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. And John highlights the truth of the presence of sin in the lives of believers in 1 John 1, 8. If we say we are without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So I have to be objective and clear. And he's given us the Holy Spirit indwelling us and that by the power of the Holy Spirit, God here in 1 Corinthians 10, verses 12 and 13, makes a way of escape. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So here is God's escape plan. And it starts out in verse 12 with, in Christ, we must have a humble heart. I have to have a humble heart. You know, he who thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. I think of Han Solo in the first episode of Star Wars, the Star Wars, Star Wars 1, where he says to Luke Skywalker, don't get cocky, kid. That's what Paul's saying to us. Don't get cocky. You know, if you think, I'm I'm trucking along in my spiritual life pretty well, things are going great, you're David on top of the roof. He who thinks he stands, take heed, lest he fall. So I can't get cocky in my righteousness. This is is the judgment in, in Matthew 7 that's brought up over and over again. You know, I, to take out the speck in my brother's eye, I first have to understand there's a beam in my own eye. The examples that I read in 1 Corinthians 10, verses 6 through 11, I mean, Israel was just redeemed. They were brought out of Egypt. They were rescued. So I can't be cocky in my righteousness, but neither should I be cocky in my sin. And you go, well, how can that be? Well, you don't, you don't know the things that I've done. You don't know how bad the things that I've done are. And so we can, there's almost a hubris that our sin is greater than God's forgiveness. And if I'm saying such things like that, he's going, no, your sin is sin. No sin has overtaken you except that which is common to man. No temptation, no sin. There's there's nothing new under the sun. And there's nothing that the blood of Christ cannot, will not atone for. I miss the holiness of God, the great, beautiful holiness of God when when I think my sin can overcome that. So I must have a humble heart going into this. 
I have to understand, too, that God is faithful. Okay? He's not saying, okay, I've redeemed you. Now go be righteous. No, God is faithful. Here in your battle against sin, Saint God is faithful. God is our anchor in this. And if I go, if I reject his provision, ultimately, I sin the more grievously. If I tell God, you know, ah, you know I, I, I don't want your help. If he's reaching down his hand, I go, no, I don't want it. I want to do it myself. I rob him of the glory of helping me. I rob him of the glory of the thanksgiving that will come when God has redeemed me and rescued me from my sin. So we would be wise to let God serve us. But God is faithful. How? He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. Well, you don't know how strong my temptation is. Well, you don't know how strong that verse is. Because it says God will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. So I don't care how strong the temptation is for you to grab another donut. I don't, I don't care how strong the temptation is for you to take that $5 bill from the till. I don't care how strong the temptation is for you to lust or to do whatever, whatever your proclivity is. If you say, oh, my sin is so strong, my eyes are down here and not looking at the power and the provision of God. He says he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. It's true. He will provide a way of escape that you may endure it. So how do I implement this escape plan? In Romans chapter 8, verse 13, the implication and elsewhere, Ephesians chapter 6, the implication is that we are at war. This is a spiritual battle that's going on. Paul writes in Romans eight thirteen, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. You'll get shot. You'll get picked off by Satan. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. If you follow your temptations, you follow your lusts, you will die. He's writing this to Christians. But then he says, but if you live by the Spirit, if by, excuse me, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live by the Spirit. This is spiritual warfare. To fight a spiritual battle, I must depend on the Holy Spirit. This depends on my relationship with Jesus Christ. I need him. I ought to seek him. I ought to feed upon him. I ought to feed upon the word. Psalm 119 verses 9 through 11 state, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. If I am abiding in Christ, John 14 or 15, 5, uh, 4 through 5, if I am walking in the Spirit, 
Paul tells the church at Galatia, you will not indulge the lusts or desires of the flesh. If you are walking with Christ, if you are walking with the Spirit, you will not. He will enable me to put to death the deeds of the body. As you flip through Scripture, as you read through Scripture, you'll see three different ways of escape that God provides. There are multiple, probably others, but these three came to uh, my mind. One is to flee. How do I, what is the way of escape God's going to provide for me? To run away. I have to understand that this is a battle that I can't fight. One of the things he tells us to flee from is in verse 14 of chapter 10. Flee from idolatry. Get away from it. Don't get involved in it. If it is a problem, separate from it. The other thing, and he mentions it twice in the New Testament, is to flee from sexual immorality. How big a problem is sexual sin? Huge. Huge. Flee. Another thing he tells us to do to battle sin is to stand. Flip over briefly to Ephesians chapter 6. I don't want to steal Jeremy's thunder because he'll be preaching on this in a few months. In Ephesians chapter 6, as we look at the armor of God in verses 10 through 14, let it ring in your ears how often he tells you to stand. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. And he goes from there. Stand, stand, be able to stand. Stand on what? Stand on the truth of God's word with the armor of God upon you. When you are confronted by some sins, the thing to do is to stand firm on God's word. The third thing to highlight as a way of escape is mutual support. This is huge in the military, mutual support. Not one dude in a foxhole should be two. Not one airplane going to war should be two or four. The mutual support God has given us is right here. The church. Satan wants to pick you off to isolate you so that you are by yourself. God wants you to know that the folks who are standing beside you, the folks who are sitting beside you, the folk who is preaching to you today, battles the same things you do. So James 5.16 says to confess with one another and pray for one another. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, we are to meet together and encourage one another. Verse 24, just prior to that, we are supposed to exhort and encourage one another to love and good works. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13, we are to 
exhort one another to keep going, keep running, persevere, don't give up, don't quit. You're going to want to quit. I'm just tired. Colossians 3 verse 16 speaks of teaching one another, admonishing one another. The time to think about temptation is not when you're facing it. It is to be prepared. How do I prepare myself? By training myself in godliness. How do I do that? By knowing the word of God. I have to know God's word. I have to anticipate what's coming. Know what's coming. Know what the enemy has done in your life before. Anticipate, know that temptations will come. And when it comes, act. Don't just sit there. Radio the commander. Do like Nehemiah did and shoots a prayer up to the Lord immediately. Oh God, help me in this. Give me the strength to do that thing that I don't want to do. Help me to flee when I want to indulge. Help me to stand when I want to run. Trust God. Seek his provision in your life. Are you going to fail? Yep. Are you going to face plant? Yep. Again and again. And in this war, Satan wants your destruction and your demise. He wants you to quit. There is no doubt of that. He will do that through our sin. Now, I don't know all of you here. If you do not know Christ as God and Savior, your sin in this world will bring you nothing but misery. And in the age to come, eternal punishment and agony. Brother and sister, saint, if you do know Christ, Satan still seeks ruin through your sin. But... God, but God is faithful. The God who loves you. Not only do we find redemption in Christ, we find our lives. He is our life. When Christ, who is our life, appears, we will see him as he is. It should come as no surprise then that if he is our life, he will provide for us in this struggle against sin. He, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is our strength, and he gave us an incredible warning in this verse and made us an incredible promise. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Hold on to that anchor point. Your God loves you. One day sin will be no more. God desires even now holiness in your life. A holiness that you will one day know holy in the life to come. Until then, when temptation comes for us, we hold on to God and we need to look for an exit. Let's pray. Father, true words, true words 
easy for us to nod to, easy for me even now to nod to and go, yes, God, truth. I beg and pray that they will not be merely words, but that these words will lead us to fight in our battle against sin. We know that you will provide, I beg that for each one here, you will help us to trust you all the more, that you would be glorified in us. We beg this in Jesus' name, amen.